I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to All Starts Out We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, keeping scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Martin Riley, the Jack Harrison own goal of the podcast. What a finish with his weak foot, and I'm joined by the passive mid-block press of the podcast. Boo! Boo! <laughs> it's John McKenzie. How are you tuned today, John? I'm doing really well, Martin. It's great to be back. It's been a little while since I was on one of these podcast episodes so yeah looking forward to talking about Leeds. Yeah as am I it's um, great great to have you on um, obviously I, I've been a long time listener to the pod so I've been more used to listening to you speak with other people so it's going to be a treat to host for you so yeah we'll get get into it. Um, we're here today to talk about the Brighton game and first of all the quick game summary about that game. Leeds uh, generally set up in a 4-4-2 slash 4-2-2-2 shape facing up against Brighton in a 4-2-3-1 the game plan for Leeds was to press quite passively in quite a compact shape, allowing Brighton to keep possession of the ball in their own half and waiting for opportunities to press. This strategy did relatively well for the opening 30 minutes, but the deadlock was broken by Alexei McAllister in the 32nd minute when he scored a close-range header following a cross from Pascal Gross and a header across from Karu Matoma. Then seven minutes later, the score was levelled thanks to a long-range deflected goal by Patrick Bamford. Brighton continued to create low-level chances, targeting our right-back area with another goal being scored thanks to an own goal from Jack Harrison in the 60th minute when he tried to clear a low cross and ended up slicing it into his own net. The score nearly ended up being 3-1 after this when Danny Welbeck put, put a good opportunity wide from just inside the area. But again, the scores were levelled in the 77th minute thanks to a fine curled effort from Jack Harrison in a set-piece situation. The match ended in a 2-2 draw. Um, how do you think that summary is, John? Is anything that I've missed out there? No, I think that you've, you've picked up on, on all the things... Um... I think as we get into the game, we will be able to talk on these things more, but um, lots of Leeds United-y things happening. So uh, a chance from, from outside the box, someone having a moment of brilliance from, from, from Bamford, maybe a little bit of luck and then a set piece goal as well. Um, and yeah, lots of, I think lots of chances generated for us through high regains, turnovers, high up the pitch, out of possession stuff, pretty good. Uh, questions to be asked about the, the uh, in possession stuff, but I'm sure we'll get into all of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so we'll start with the interrogation to get into what happened in the game. Um, John, I know you are personally a big fan of the way Roberto De Zerbi has his teams playing. Would you say we approached the game in the right way and were we able to really influence the way Brighton attacked? Yeah, I, I know this question is sort of touching on a lot of the discourse that happened around the game. I actually missed most of that discourse because I didn't really follow what the fans were saying, but um, allegedly a lot of people complaining about the the fans in the stadium wanting us to be more aggressive in our forward press. Um, look, I, I think it's it's one of those things where the fans have been conditioned in the last few seasons to expect really aggressive high pressing. Um, in this instance, I don't think it's uh, particularly the, the the best way to go forward against a Roberto De Zerbi um, uh, build up structure. Uh, the whole idea behind what Roberto De Zerbi is trying to do is bait oppositions to jump forward, create space in behind, and then generate these sort of what we call artificial transitions. So usually when we develop transitions uh, in football, that comes from a direct turnover. So the idea is is that you sit deep, 
you absorb pressure, you win the ball back, and you've got all of that space then to attack because the opposition have pushed forward. Now, Roberto De Zerbi wants to generate those sorts of conditions, but rather than giving the ball to the opposition for long spells to be able to generate those conditions, he wants to generate them himself through, himself through his team possessing the ball. So the whole idea is that you you bait the opposition press in, you sit deep, you put your studs on the ball, you goad them in, you rely on the crowd actually shouting at the players to go forward and... When they do that, you then have these various routes and automatisms to be able to play through that pressing structure and, and, and then in theory have a lot of space to attack. So yeah, I think we, we approached the game in the right way in terms of the out of possession side of things. And, um, I think we had a lot of joy actually out of possession. Yeah, and I, I would agree that we did approach the game in a way which was best suited against them because I think if we would have gone with the crowd and pressed every opportunity when they were booing us to do so, um, it would have ended up a much worse scoreline than what it was. Um, and the way we particularly approached the press saw Aronson and Bamford sitting just in front of the two Brighton centre-backs, right? Not pressing unless they were the heavy touch and behind them, Rocker and Adams were positioned very close behind Caicedo and Gross. And when Brighton had the ball in their build-up phase, which then received into a flat 4-4-2, they press further up the field. Um, while this did have some impact on the influence Gross and Kaiseda had on the game, this did concede quite a bit of space in wide areas. Uh, would you think this was a smart way to, to handle the advanced areas? Yeah, it's interesting that you've highlighted like allowing space in wide areas because I felt that the approach that, that we took against Brighton was actually way more risky in a vertical sense. Um, so as you've mentioned, we, we pretty much went player for player out of possession. Um, so, so Brighton in their deep phase of build-up, they, they, they have a flat back four. They have a double pivot. Um, they have two, two narrow, uh, two wide players, sorry. Uh, and then the two furthest forward players drop in and sort of get a lot quite, quite close to the double pivot. Um, I think we just sort of matched them quite player for player. Um, and it, in a few instances, I mean, the, the gamble that we took there was that, well, Brighton aren't really going to go very long very often. And when they do, we have probably the advantage in those in those matchups between the the centre backs and, and the forwards. Um, so you may have we I think we're going to talk about it later, but uh, you may have noticed like Robin Koch jumping forwards on onto the player he was marking when they dropped deep. It happened on both sides, and actually the goal, the first goal itself that they scored, I believe it was um, Pascal Gross getting to the byline. Right, he gets in advance of Mark Rocker, um, gets into that space, and so in the in in that instance what happened is that Brighton were able to exploit the the, the verticality of uh, and get in behind us because they knew that we were going to be aggressive on, on those man-to-man pressing actions so I actually think the verticality was maybe a little bit more dangerous but uh, I, what do you think of uh, the width aspect then? Well, it's just a few times that I've noticed in them, not just in this game, um, actually in, in the Chelsea game as well, we seem to allow Chilwell especially a lot of space in in wider areas and similar things happened in Fulham in the cup mm. game. Um, and do, do you think this is a conscious thing that Grazia is allowing or do you think this is something else, um, something else to do with the team? Yeah, I mean, again, the Chilwell thing is interesting, right? Because there's a sense in which the problem there became a vertical problem insofar as he was able to come from a from a wide area into quite a narrow space. So he made a, a, a very dangerous sort of diagonal run towards the goal. And we saw Chelsea use that as, as an out ball quite a lot um, to try and find the ball in behind. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, again, I think that the, 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 the problem that you have there is the, the ability to get verticality from that, that wide area. Um, in terms of the, the compactness, like horizontally, which is what you're talking about here, in terms of, uh, the way that Gracia is wanting us to play. Um, I think, I, I do think, yes, it is a conscious thing. I think it is about just compactness around the goal, making it difficult for oppositions to break it down. Um, and just making that gamble that if you allow players, opposition players space in the wide areas you're still blocking the middle which is going to be much more dangerous if you don't um if, if you don't um cover those spaces i think one of the things that we saw under jesse marsh was that there was i, I know everyone talked a lot about the the weaknesses at the back post uh, but a lot of the time the, that weakness was exploited by building up through the middle uh, and finding space which you could then spread the ball wide and because um, the again there was issues with vert- verticality they were able to isolate players on the back post um, there was a tendency I think for us to swarm um, out of possession in certain defensive transitional s- s- uh, situations definitely and that meant yeah that meant that they were quite easy to be um, 
to, to be broken down. Whereas I think what Grassi is doing now is is taking the opposite approach and saying, we're going to prioritize structure first. We're going to allow space in those wide areas uh, so the opposition can get into them, but we're going to make it really hard for them to then actually break down that, that more compact block. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. Um, another, another thing which I noticed was we employed quite a high line when we were pressing in, in advanced areas, which I personally felt was a bit of a risky strategy, given that one of Evan Ferguson's strengths is his pace, and equally so Matoma himself can be very dangerous when played into space, like we saw with Japan at the World Cup. Uh, do you think it was a risk that Grassi was willing to take, and he felt this would go against the way De Zerbe usually likes to attack? Yeah, again, I think it just all comes back to what we were talking about before, which is that I think in this instance, Gracia chose the the least worst option in terms of what Brighton are doing out of possession. Um, we've already said that what Brighton are trying to do is generate space by by pulling teams forward. And so what we did was we had a fairly um, passive forward press and then a really aggressive man-to-man marking outside of that forward pressing space. Um, and I think the, the, the general idea there is you you allow the opposition the ability to pass the ball around the back and if they want to they can go long into those 1v1 matchups at the back but actually you would probably favor um our back line against particularly like Robin Cox as we talked about against Alexis McAllister in a high ball situation you'd expect him to come out the better there same with Max Verber as well with with um, Evan Ferguson although I think that's a bit more of a an even matchup in that in that sense yeah. and interesting actually that they brought on Danny Welbeck towards the the end of the game as well they did try and go forward on a few occasions but it uh, long sorry on a few occasions but it didn't really work out but the general principle with Brighton is that they they bait the the opposition in and as we've said but then they drop their two uh, the tacticos call it um last line abandonment so they get the the front two just dropping really deep close to that double pivot and that creates space if you're going to be tight with your center backs on the, those front two you're going to create space in behind that your wide players then in Solly Marsh and, uh, and Karen Matoma are going to be able to exploit by running those diagonal routes which we saw we've, we've talked about Ben Chilwell doing as well so I think it, it's risky but um, I also kind of think it's probably our best uh, chance of, of getting into something out of the game and so so that proved um, because I think Brighton are a really tough team to 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 break down I think you know we we caused them a lot of problems in their build-up but they also caused us a lot of problems with their build-up uh, and I felt that that was probably the level of equality that we could best hope for um, and uh, yeah I think a lot of the the issues that that we came up with really were in possession issues rather than out of possession issues I thought we turned them over in high areas quite a lot we got in some promising final third situations but we weren't we just weren't able to generate good chances I don't think from from those moments that we we generated through our out of possession play yeah that's a fair point I'm talking about um Brighton's build-up um I think they tried a few different things to try to get around what we were trying to do didn't they Is that right, John? yeah I, I think that they were I mean, the, the the thing with Deserbi is that he his teams have just become very very flexible. The more he coaches them, the more time he has to work with them, the more solutions they can find to different problems. So you've already talked about how Leeds um, they they basically had a box of four players around the the Brighton double pivot, right? Um, they allowed the the Brighton centre backs to have the ball, and then they were just super congested in that central space. And there's a few different things that Brighton could do in those in those situations. We saw them switch in the first half, I think. To a bit more of a of a single pivot system, so I think the idea there was well, we've got two players being tightly marked in in the central space um, by four players. Why not simply move one of those players out? And because Leeds were quite man to man, it meant that I think it was um, yeah Pascal Gross I think pushing forward and with with um, Mark Rocker tracking him, so he basically pulled Rocker out of the way, and then we saw the two fullbacks inverting. So you've got you're you're trying to overcome that overload in the central space a little bit they tried that for the the second half of the first half i think um but then switched back to the the system they'd been using in the um in 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 the beginning of the game i think both times when they went a goal up um so i think they were happier to to go back to that original system when they 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 felt as though they could control the game a little bit better and obviously then there's two the two leads chances coming from no I wouldn't say out of nowhere because the first one is from a turnover right Jack Harrison nips into Giles Veltman uh, turns the ball over and then yeah we have a bit of luck with the finish um but that's come from a from a high turnover and then the the set piece goal as well I think in both cases Brighton were sort of felt as though they were cruising a little bit and and uh, and then had to switch up their system again um 
and towards the end of the game it sort of it, it did get a little bit funny in terms of what in terms of what was happening i sent you a clip yesterday on twitter where yeah. um brighton have just gone 2-1 up and they have this this sort of the we leads try and transition um through through um well rodrigo loses the ball and and then there's like four or five brighton players up against five leeds players the back line and then McKenney. and there's about 20 seconds where they just attack really slowly None of the Leeds players in advance of the ball seem to actually make an effort of getting back. And in the end, the ball's just sort of chipped through to Melier. Um, so I felt as though the, in that sin- instance, we sort of, we gave up a little bit at 2-1 down. Um, and then I think maybe Brighton got a little bit too passive, a little bit too comfortable. Uh, and then we were able to score from a set-piece goal as well. So yeah, a little bit of luck there for us. But um, I, I felt as though um, in terms of the the build-up structure, Brighton were largely in control while still giving up a lot of chances because they're consistently wanting to build up, right? They're not going to ever say, okay, you're causing us problems in the build-up, we'll go long. They'll be like, we're just going to build up and do it better. We'll change our structure. We'll we'll move players around a little bit. Um, and I think that, that, that does raise an interesting question. I mean, we've talked a lot about in the first half of this season about how Leeds were really good against teams who were trying to build up because of the out-of-possession stuff. And we had problems in possession trying to cause... Um, team's problems from there and I feel as though we're still in that sort of remit right we, we we came up against Manchester United they tried to build up in both of their games and had a horrible time of it they persisted with it and they you know we were able to get um, a 2-2 draw where we probably deserved to win uh, was it that way uh, was it that way yeah. I don't know it was the 2-2 tra- draw where we probably deserved to lose but then the 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 2-0 loss where we probably deserved to win but they they carried on trying to build up through us and it furnished us with a lot of control in the final third because we didn't have to possess the ball we simply had to win it back uh, and I felt that as though that was what happened in the Brighton game and the big question for me going forward is always going to be okay we've shown that we can cause teams who are good at build up problems what happens now when we come up against Nottingham Forest and they're like we're not even going to try and build up we're just going to go long and direct and suddenly the whole uh, structure of the game changes so um, yeah I think that that was the sort of overriding thought that I had in my mind. No, yeah, there's a lot of things which we need to ask questions about um, how it's going to look going forward. And I'll, I'm going to skip by one of the questions because this question leads by, leads into what you just saying there. And that, in fact, all of Gratch's games so far, we haven't been able to create any clear-cut chances yet, at least in, in the Premier League. And and where this was something we were generally able to do under Marsh, we did quite often see maybe maybe two good, big chances mm. in in one mm. little attack, and then same later on. Um, so do you think we should be worried about this um, inability to create big chances, or do you think it's just part of the process of moving from one style of manager to another? I think a lot of this comes down to squad build-up. I don't think that you can watch a game like the game at the weekend and not notice that we have a real problem in terms of controlling games from the back forwards. And I think when you rely on these, I guess rely on chaos to, to generate, you, you end up with a sort of fairly unrepeatable approach to chance creation. So yes, during the Jesse Marsh period, we did create big chances and and fairly regularly. But there were some games where we didn't create anything either. And I, I, the way that I like to talk about it is that you know, there's there's always going to be a level of variance when it comes to expected goals. Sometimes you'll overperform them, sometimes you'll underperform them. But I think the, the concept of expected goals is based around the notion of repeatability, which is if you get the, the ball into certain situations with the same sorts of variables in place, then more, more often than not, you'll be likely to score them at this sort of rate. Um, but I think with us, because there was so much verticality, there was so much like, reliance on chaos, um, I, I do wonder whether or not that that sort of makes you enough of an outlier that um, it's 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 hard for you to um, necessarily match your expected goals as you might uh, want to. Um, I, I guess I'm just suggesting that there's maybe other variables in place which aren't taken into account in most expected goals models. Now, this that's just purely speculation, and I'm sure um, there will be people out there more than happy to point out where I'm wrong on that. But my, my point in bringing this up is that what I think's happened now is we've brought in a manager who's now at the opposite end of that spectrum, is that he, he is not going to want to rely on chaos um, as much. And so, for example, against Bryson, what we've done there, I think, is primarily stopped them from being able to dominate the game. And then the 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 uh, chance creation has not not is not an afterthought, but is is certainly a second priority, right? Um, you, you, we set up to defend in a certain way, and we were going to generate chances 
on turnovers as we talked about but again that's this there's a certain chaotic element to that you're dependent on how many players are forward and and what chances you can generate there's not a, a huge amount of controlled element about that um but i think with gracia like what we what we are seeing is that he is primarily thinking let's make sure that we don't concede silly goals which is what we did do under Marsh, and at least give ourselves a bedrock then to to be able to win goals, uh, win games by scoring goals. Maybe the maybe the goals won't be as as forthcoming, uh, but the the principle is you know defense is the best form of attack in that sense. Now there's questions to be raised about whether or not that's a particularly good approach when you're in a situation where you need to get three points right. But I think in this game against a Brighton team who are very good, who probably on balance deserve to win the game. You know, you take the two-two draw, and you say thank you very much, and you um, you, you say trust the process in the in the long run, and hope that when you get to those games that are winnable, such as the you know the Wolves game next week, I think is a an example of that, and you you, you hope that that things come off so that we actually do get the three points there. Yeah, I thought I'd, there was going to be a follow-up question, but I think you just answered um, in the answer to that one, so I'm going to skip by this the next follow-up one, which, which was just about um, whether this um, lack of being able to create big chances was because we're trying to be more solid out of possession and not allow as much space. So I think you just really answered answered that question. So unless you've got anything else to add about that, yeah. Well, I mentioned the squad build up as well at, at the beginning of the of the answer to that, and I didn't really expand on it. But yeah, we we do have players who are much more suited to playing aggressive out of possession football and uh, maybe don't have some of the technical qualities that you want to be able to generate more goals. So I do feel for Javi Gracia in this instance because it's not it's not the case that you can just come in and say, right, well, all we need to do is develop some sort of in-possession ideas and, 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 it's, and it's easy, right? You don't just switch a, a play style that easily when, you, when you've built your squad around a particular um, and on a different particular play style. So um, I think there will be improvements, but I also kind of think that the best thing to do in this instance is try and get the upside of the of the marsh system which is the ability to do that aggressive pressing and and the man-to-man stuff if you need to like we did in this this game against brighton um but then and then marry it up with some more in possession ideas but you know your in possession your in possession approach is always going to be a reflection of your out of possession approach and in this game i think the out of possession approach was clearly the dominant idea and so to a degree like the best way we were going to be able to um attack was going to be through those those high turnovers i think there's maybe a couple there's a couple of ideas that i've seen in possession from gracia in terms of like wide build up so like interchange between the fullback the the ball near central midfielder in the pivot and uh, either the striker or the wide player dropping in to sort of help out um so sort of like Bielsa light stuff where you know we saw a lot of build up in those in those wide areas that was predominantly where ball progression happened under Bielsa we've seen a few things um happening like that but again when you're when you're relying on for example someone like Tyler Adams who isn't necessarily the most technical player in those build up moments on the one side on on the right hand side it does make it harder I think for you to 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 have um consistent build up on both sides of the field where on the other side obviously Mark Rocker is a much more technical player and so you can you can rely on that a little bit Junior Furpo I think is a good ball carrier and is a fairly decent technical player as well in that respect um, and when you bring on Wilfred Nonto as well on that side you then have really really um, good players to do that sort of wide progression on the left hand side but the problem is is that if you're so what like left side dependent the opposition have an easy job of just being like okay well we'll we'll just compensate on on our right hand side to make it stronger uh, etc so there's definitely ideas that i think I've, I've i've seen but not consistent enough or repeatable enough to actually cause teams problems certainly in the brighton game anyway no that's a good, very good point uh, the brighton game was probably not the right game to try to attempt anything more ambitious in, in possession um especially because we weren't likely to see much of the ball anyway because how well they are at keeping it um but touching in on the brighton point would you say this was a good point as we saw a number of teams around us pick up three points over the weekend um i'm just guess i'm looking for a bit of reassurance here <laughs> look every every point is a good point uh this at this end of the season right um i would rather have a point than no points um you don't factor in the 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 the, the you know a, a southampton getting you know, eleven versus ten against Manchester United for sixty minutes, or Bournemouth being very good at playing low block counter attacking football and, and getting a result against Liverpool. You can't you can't play for the other teams. Um, 
I think you know you, you take this this two two draw and you say we probably didn't deserve that point, so it's a bonus point, and you say on to the Wolves game next, and um, that will be a game I think that we'll be able to maybe focus on the in possession stuff a little bit more and and hopefully get a little bit more joy out of out of what's what's happening on the field. So yeah, it's definitely a good point. Um, it's disappointing that other teams did did better around us, but you can't you know Javi Gracia can't do anything about that he can simply like approach each team and say you know this is what we're going to try and do against Brighton if we get a draw that's that's better than a loss and uh, I think that's what's happened yeah I'd agree with that and I think there's also some sort of superiority that our fans seem to have over a team like Brighton um, who historically would say, oh, we, we should be beating Brighton. We're a much, quote-unquote, bigger side than what Brighton are. I think that's something playing on fans' mind, was that we should be looking to, to beat them, even though we haven't beat them in the league <laughs> since 2017, I believe. Yeah. I mean, so- <laughs> we've, we've really struggled against Brighton every time we played them. This was true under Bielsa, even in the good seasons. Um, it's, it was, it's been true under everyone, and that's because they have a manager who is smart or have had a manager who is smart in, in each situation they have players who are really well um really well uh coached and and really flexible tactically and that's the that's the dream right that's what we should we should be looking at teams like Brighton and saying Leeds should be able to do that um I think it feels a long way away at the moment um because of various things I think we've made fairly poor decisions as a club for um certainly the last couple of seasons um but I think that should always be the goal. It should be how do you get, how do you find these managers who are able to make the the, the players more than the sum of their parts? We we had it with Bielsa. Uh, we know what it feels like. We know this is why we all bang on about Bielsa, and I I'm unapologetic about banging on about Bielsa. But uh, for me, Bielsa isn't the beginning and end all of football. There are other managers out there who could do that. Roberto De Zerbi is one, and you just got to admire the fact that that bright teams like Brighton and uh, and Brentford to a degree. Are, are able to produce that sort of process heavy football, which I think all of us would love to see because, you know, when I watch Leeds, what I want to feel is that I can understand what the club are trying to do. The club are doing their best to, to get a manager who instills great football. And yeah, okay, maybe we wouldn't win every week, but at least if you're sitting watching the games and you can um, enjoy what's going on. And look, I enjoyed the game at the weekend because you, you can you can see that Gracia knows what he's doing and he's implementing ideas um, in terms of the out of possession stuff. Um, so yeah, that's I think that's what the, the the goal is is to have a manager who can do that. But particularly, I think maybe more in the in possession phase of the game where you feel as though you're able to dictate the the terms of the game a little bit more. Yeah, but it is refreshing to have a manager who will come up with a unique way of approaching an opponent, which isn't, although Mass maybe made the odd tweak for bigger sides, but that would just be, just press a little bit less aggressively. That was the ex- be-all and extent of the tweaks we saw from Mass, and this is was a quite a drastic change in game plan, and change the way not only how we press, but the structure as well. So less aggressive as well as approaching it in a different way and just sitting in a certain area rather than moving to the players themselves. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The next question I've got is something which I actually asked last week, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Um, Grazia will have another full week of training to work with the squad. And uh, maybe in particular against Wolves, what do you think we need to improve on? And what do you think has actually been changed in the time since he's been with the club, really? Yeah, this is an interesting question. Because I think 
fans have their foibles and their fancies, right? And the, there's going to be some fans who are wanting to say, oh, you know, with Gracia, nothing has changed. It's exactly the same as what Jesse Marsh was doing. We shouldn't have moved Jesse Marsh on. And there will be players, man, fans on the other side of the spectrum being like, this is completely different. We did such a good thing moving Jesse Marsh on. Um, we've got our manager back. We are playing the football that we wanted to play. I think the truth is is somewhere in between those two things. Um, I think that what we are doing now is still benefiting from the good sides of, of what we got under Jesse Marsh. And look, let me be quite clear. My criticisms of, of Jesse Marsh were always criticisms of the, the approach that Leeds, the club, had decided to go down within the Premier League. I was sceptical of that working out when he arrived. And I feel as though on the basis of the evidence, I'm justified in, in having thought that way. Um, the problem now is that we've made our bed and we have to lie in it to an extent. So with, with Javi Gracia, he has a tough job because he has to... He has to sort of try and get the balance of recognizing that, that these players are, are always going to be, they're going to have their upside in the out possession side of the game. Um, but marry that up against the the fact that we do need to score goals. We do need to start winning um, games in order to get out of the mess that we're in. And, you know, once we get to the summer, if we can stay up, then you can start asking these more big picture questions about what the future of the club is. But right now, Javi Gracia has a squad of players, none of whom he's picked that he has to try and mould into playing the style of football that he wants to play, which is very different to the sort of football that Jesse Marsh wants to play. And that's a tough ask for anyone. So um, it, it's the same, It's the same, weirdly, as, as what happened when Jesse Marsh came in um, after Marcelo Bielsa had been in charge, right? And, you know, we, we, we managed to stay up last season, I think largely by luck more than judgment. Um, a few things happened that, you know, you can't account for. Uh, and when that happens, you just say, you know, who cares? We stayed up. This is fine. But in the long run, I think um, you, uh, many of us will want to see see the the way that the club is approaching the what happens on the pitch in a very different way. But right now, I think Grassi is probably doing the right thing insofar as he's trying to take the best parts of what we are good at and maybe have a little bit more of a muted uh, approach in, in 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 other in other games. Um, I think that there there are going to be questions asked about the in-possession stuff because I don't think that there's going to be necessarily a huge turnaround um, in terms of what we're doing in possession, particularly when we're not able to win those high regains that we talked about, those high turnovers. Yeah. Um, but look, we've got... The, the thing that I keep coming back to is we've got ballers who can generate moments, right? We've got... And it's not even like, it's not even like they need to be consistent because I think, you know, Jack Harrison didn't have his best game at the weekend, right? But he managed to get the equalising goal from a set piece. Um, Pat Bamford is not at full fitness and, and probably won't ever be, but he did enough to be able to get that goal and that's that's what we need him for. We've got players like Nonto, who we know can produce moments. We've got Crescencio Somerville, who again, we know can produce moments. We've got Rodrigo, who is 3,000% over his expected goals. So we know that he can like have have upside. Um, we, we, we have a lot of you know, exciting players who will come on and will be able to have those moments which can turn the, the, the game around. And that's sort of where I'm at at the moment. That's what happened last season. We had Rafinha and Joffe going on a tear, keeping us up, basically. Uh, and what I'm sort of relying on now is, yes, play nice, solid, out-of-possession football, um, try and structure in-possession play. But we've probably got enough players to be able to produce those moments to keep us up. And and then you're in the, the hands of the God in, gods, inshallah. <laughs> so here we, here we are again. Yeah, exactly. Um, that last season was uh, massively luck. I know there were some things which went against us luck-wise, like other teams picking up a really ridiculous run of games and winning. So there was a luck, both positive and negative for us. But we did get over the line just... Um, but one thing which I think will need, uh, personally I would want Grassi to work on is the way we approach teams that are around who, where we are in the league because obviously throughout this season we've struggled against the teams who were around us and there were the first game that Grassi had was against the team around us in Southampton and we did do enough to win that game so personally I have seen some good some changes in the way especially build up um, I've liked some of the things that we've done in build up um in some of the games, he's dropped Adams in between the centre-backs. In other games, Melier has, has been forming a three in the middle with the two centre-backs. So the, there's these sort of things which haven't, haven't been done under Marsh at all, which we suddenly saw in a quite a short turnaround. We saw them against Southampton. I think that was, what, 
two days and possibly one training session before <laughs> the game. So yeah, it's uh, I think I have like some of the things that's been done, and I'm hoping that will increase. And again, we've got some winnable games coming up against teams around us, and that's what I want to see personally. It is worth saying that, like in terms of like the the first phase of build up, like Jesse Marsh did try and do first phase build up, but to a very different end to to what Grassi is trying to do, and that is he uses the back line to move the ball around until you get to a point where you are able to fashion one of those progressive balls into the central space, right? Um, so I think in that respect, like we're well set up to do that first phase stuff. Um, I think the difference that I've seen, and you guys have watched it much more closely than I have, because. Um, with work I've been watching other teams a little bit more um, analytically but what I've seen from from Gracia is is just using the wide areas to build up and I think that being a little bit more of an, a, an advantage for us than than what we're trying to do under Marsh because I think um, again like two very controversial players in in Junior Furpo and Luke Ayling at the moment per the fan base but you know their 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 upside is for junior i think ball carrying and sometimes like tight space passing um and with ailing i think the same is true i think he's you know there's a reason why in our first season back in the premier league he was up there with jack grealish for for ball progression yeah. in the premier league um because that's 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 a skill set that he has now there there are obviously issues with both of them in terms of defensive moments, um, but you know that's that's part and parcel of being a team like Leeds in the Premier League at the moment. Um, but I think in terms of trying to build up through those two in particular, and then having the players in wide areas you can support them, um, I think that's fine. I, I, I still have questions about some of the, the central midfielders that we have in terms of being able to progress the ball. But like the idea of moving our ball progression from a central space, high risk high turnover likelihood to building up in the wide areas I think is a sensible one and I think we've you know there's some games where we've seen the upside of that I think we were pretty good at it versus Fulham and you know Fulham Fulham are a top half side I think they're, they're probably flattering to deceive a little bit but I do think that like, as you say against teams at the the bottom half of the table and teams around us we need to be able to p- progress the ball we need to be able to dictate the play because part of the problem was previously we weren't able to dictate play and so we were often responding to oppositions um that's not to say that we weren't able to turn balls over and then generate chances from there and that was the gamble that we made but in the premier league it was just happening that you know we weren't able to dictate the game enough that that we could control it sufficiently to win it and now I feel much more confident in our ability to do that, um, albeit still not very confident. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, I think it will take some time to generate, um, but I think we've um, gone over enough on the interrogation. We've got quite a lot of listener questions to get into, so I'll crack on with those. Um, first one I've got is from Jamie in Discord. Um, he said that I'd, this is not, not really a question, but I'd like to look at the defensive setup. I know it's Furpo positioned himself very narrow during the first half. Um, so yeah, but... Um, I think I noticed that at some some phases, um, other phases he was wide. I think it varied a fair bit. What, what did, did you see on that? Yeah, I mean, I think your opinion on this is going to be better than mine because um, I haven't really been analysing Leeds too much recently. But um, yeah, I think that we've already talked about the narrowness, um, and it's it's a it's a good way of playing in the Premier League. I think staying compact and making it hard for teams to break you down. Um, one of the teams I noticed doing this quite a bit last season was Newcastle under Eddie Howe. Um, I remember watching them play against us in the in the game that we ended up losing. Um, uh, I was under Bielsa, wasn't it? It was sort of the beginning beginning of the Bielsa downfall, and they played super narrow in that game. Um, so yeah, just keeping their their fullbacks very very compact. Um, I think it, yeah, again, it's it's because you know it doesn't matter too much if you give up space in wide areas. The best thing that you can the opposition can hope to do is generate good crosses into into forwards. And I think in this game, that was the gamble that Gracia took. He was like, Verber and Koch are going to be better aerially than the, the two Brighton forwards. So why not give up space in that wide area to add a little bit of, of, of compactness in, in the in the first line of defence? So Yeah, I think we've just been so... <laughs> hating compactness because it, it came in the form of Marsh's compactness which um, tend to more of the problems came from the swarming of the ball in defensive transitions whereas I think allowing compactness in general play is something which is fine um, 
especially when you have some kind of rest defense to go with it. And I do think that is something which uh, Grazia has in mind. I do. I have noticed he, he does like to keep some players back. Sorry, a lot more in some of the previous games. Um, but yeah, the Firpo especially, I think he's been doing well for us, and I'm, I'm all in for it. I do. I, I really, it really would be nice though for us to have a functioning left back. <laughs> but yeah, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, this is from Josie on Twitter. A lot of fans moan about a terrible performance in the first half, whereas I just saw a match plan to stand firm until second half against Brighton Press. Were we bad, or is this a fan reaction to a very different style of football than we're used to, for example, not pressing? And I think we've probably addressed this quite a bit earlier, but is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I would personally say that I thought we were better in the first half than we were in the second half. Um, I think maybe we got a little bit more dangerous in the second half when the game opened out but I also think that Brighton got much more dangerous in the second half Uh, I can think of a lot of chances where normally I would have expected Brighton to be ruthless and and generate chances Um, so yeah I think I felt in the first half it was I don't think it was an an even performance because I do think that Brighton did generate the better chances in in that half but it was it was competitive and then I felt as though in the second half maybe things started getting away from us a little bit as as I mean we've already talked about that 20 seconds stint where Brighton have gone 2-1 up and Leeds just look like their heads have dropped and they're like well you know what's the point um I I think I think that's sort of part and parcel of one being tired from playing a really structured and disciplined out of possession approach but also being in that situation where you're like oh yes we've got a goal back we've got back into this and then you give up another goal and you think nothing's going our way um fortunately we were able to get another goal after that but I felt that the, the first half like the plan was good and well enacted and I thought it was enjoyable to watch everyone knew knew what they were doing we'd clearly been working on that that approach in training all week uh, and Brighton tried a few things to to try and overcome it and and sometimes broke the press but like that's what you want that you, that you want you want to try and reduce the the playing field to as level as possible and I think we did that yeah yeah I'd agree with that um, next one was from uh, John W. Midgley on Twitter. He says, was I right in thinking Brighton weren't doubling up on Willie in the same way other teams have in recent games? Um, regardless, when teams do double up on him, why doesn't this create more space for us elsewhere in attack for other players to exploit? Is it tactics or is it quality? Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak to the way that Brighton dealt with, with Nonto. But, you know, one of the things I have noticed is that when you come up against a team who rely on a player for for um, particularly... Uh, ball progression and chance creation quality and I think you know this is something that Somerville is good at as well um, like tactically Somerville is is I think pretty average but one of the things that he offers is like the individual individual ability to pick the ball up with his back to goal in the half space for example dropping in turn and then progress the ball 20-30 yards and lay it off which is really important to do if yeah. you can't achieve that through uh, the midfielders which we don't seem to be able to at the moment um, so <clears throat> When it comes to a player like like Somerville or Nonto, often I think oppositions think, well, if we can stop this player, then we can stop this team doing from doing what they're doing. Um, but I am always reminded of the way that Argentina dealt with Kylian Mbappe in the World Cup final, where everyone's question was like, how are how are Argentina going to deal with Mbappe? And in many respects, the way that they dealt with Mbappe was by simply playing their game plan. As, as in possession as best that they could and making sure that that France couldn't generate the sorts of situations where where Mbappe got the ball uh, and I think that there's probably an element to that in the way that Brighton approached this game they are super idealistic under Roberto De Zerbi mm-hmm. so I don't think there's ever going to be a situation where De Zerbi's like oh no their most dangerous player is Wilfred Nonto he's come on the pitch let's double up on him <laughs> I think what he'll say is Let's just make sure that we retain possession of the ball, generate good chances, and don't allow the the ball into him to be problematic in in certain ways. And um, yeah, you know, there, there will be teams who will double up on him. Um, and I think you know, the, there's an extent to which that's worthwhile doing because, as as John Midgley says, you know, why are why is not not why is that not creating more space for us to exploit elsewhere now? Um, it, it may be the case that it that it is again. I, I wouldn't like to 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 speak about this, but th- that that's part and parcel of like our in possession stuff not being to the level that we would want it to be at the moment, rather than um, anything to do with uh, I think there not being that space generated for us to to attack that. Um, so yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are, are on this because again, I think you'll be much more well versed in being being able to answer this. But have you noticed different approaches from different teams in terms of how they deal with Nonto? 
Um, yeah, there has especially been, I think, um, more players sticking around where he is. And I think Grazio has tried to alleviate this by um, involving Firpo further up the field more often, which I think really has helped Nonto. Uh, Nonto hasn't been really a regular first-choice player for, for Grazio. He's come off the bench a few times, which I, I do think is a good thing to, to be able to do with Nonto because he is that kind of player who will thrive as being an impact player as well as start, from the start. So it's perfectly fine to use him in that way. And I, th- I think that some teams have noticed, obviously, that this player could be a problem for them. And they have said, oh, well, we'll, we'll see what we can do to try to stop, stop that. And we haven't really been able to take advantage in the space that this has left behind. I think this could be down to Grazzi maybe not wanting to commit as many bodies forward as what um, we would have done under Marsh, which I think is playing into it as well. So I think it will be something which will develop with time when uh, we've had more of an understanding going between what Grazzi wants us to do when we are trying to create in the, in the final third. But yeah, that's the only thing else I can really add to that. Um, while, while you're still talking, it may be worth me just asking the next question because I know you've done some of the research on it and again, yeah. your, your opinion is going to be better on this. So this is from Will N in the discourse. He said, has Grazia changed how Melier distributes the ball? Feels like we go long less these days, but have not had time to dig into the stats, but you've done a little bit of uh, research, right? Yeah, yeah, I did have a, have a quick look at it on FBRF. Um, but first of all, the, from, from what I've seen myself, I have noticed we've been using Melier uh, more uh, in build-up phases, and we did see it in certain games. Um, but the stats-wise, stats um, it is a very small sample size because when I was looking last night, um, FBRF hadn't actually updated for the Brighton game, so it was only for, for the two games prior to that in the league. But under Marsh, um, Melier had only a 62% total pass, pass accuracy, and this has rose to 82.1 in the two other games which Scratchy has had in the league. And I also went a little bit further to try to work out what percentage of Melia's total long passes were, sorry, total passes were long, and which was uh, 51% under Marsh, he went long, and 32% under Grazia. So not only has his pass accuracy gone up, also the times that he will hoof it long has also dropped. So I do think it is something which um, Grazia is wanting to do, is to involve Melia more in what we're looking to do in build-up, which is something that I think Marsh wasn't really interested in. There were certain games where Melier would, would pass it short against a certain opposition, but that would be generally opposition who weren't pressing us. So he wasn't trying to get out of that press. He was just telling Melier to hit it long into certain areas rather than trying to, to build it up from the back. So I, yes, I do think that that, that has changed. The next question from Dr. Frankenfear on Twitter is that given the personnel available and lack of time for Javi uh, Gracia, what is the best shortcut to a functioning attack for the remainder of the season? We will need to find a way of reliably making chances. Um, Sinistera aside, I don't think we can really rely on our squad to score from low expected goals chances every week. Um, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, yes, I agree. But also we've relied on our squad to score from low XG shots all season, haven't we? I feel like yeah. you know most of the. If you look at most of the games where we picked up points, the uh, the Liverpool and Bournemouth games stand out, and that's when Somerville picked up however many goals he got from a very low expected goals total. We've relied at the beginning of the season on Rodrigo scoring a few um, goals over his his expected numbers. Sinistera has scored a few from distance. Nonto has um, maybe maybe that was more in the cup, but like I, I feel as though he's he's always dangerous as well from from that sort of distance. The two goals this weekend were both pretty low expected goals shots so we've already talked about this I think yes of course we need to be able to develop a functioning attack but I think if Gracia doesn't really manage to do that this season I I think there are caveats for why that's the case um, based on the construction of the squad Um, and yeah as I've already said like we're in the hands of the gods so inshallah so to an extent I'm relying on us to to maybe generate goals from low expected goals shots most weeks um it's good that we've got those players who can do that and the i think the worry is is that when they don't we we tend to not get the points so um let's let's see how it let's see how it carries on going but yeah it is it is a weird thing of this season where we've like we've feel like we've missed big chances and scored low chances but um yeah i i i, I don't know if you have any takes on like how we develop 
like the best the best shortcut to a functioning attack, I suppose, says it all, right? It's, it does feel like at this point it would have to be some kind of shortcut where, you know, you're you're cheating the system in some way. No, that um I, I don't really think about too much to add in it, but there is a, actually another question which I'll pop some myself into here. Um Arnold Wagstaff in this Discord said uh Grazi has had three games so far. Southampton at home was too early to judge. We were fairly passive versus both <clears throat> Chelsea and Brighton. I presume the Gracia set us up not to get pumped by a technically better opponents. How do you think you'll set us up if he's trying to win, or do you think you'll always be safety first, hoping to nick a 1-0 or a 2-1 win? So I'll have a quick chat about this myself. Um, I do think that what, what Arnold says there is right. He was setting us up against Chelsea and Brighton to try not to get heavily beaten by um, technically better opponents, both with Chelsea and Brighton. Um, but how he will set us up to win, um, there will be lots of reliance on transition moments that is something which he has used in the past with his Watford side and also when he was managing in La Liga with um, Malaga and was it Valencia I think that's right yeah, yeah. Valencia and so I do think that will always be an approach which he will look for is um, transition attacks but he is also able to create and things from open play and not just transitions so I do think that that is something that we will develop and work on more as the season progresses especially when we are against lower tier opponents than Chelsea and Brighton but yeah um, I think there will be still a lot of team goals that will win by one goal like you said one nils two ones there will be still a lot of those under Grazia I believe because a lot of those did come for his Watford side as well there wasn't that many games where where he managed to win by three four goals but for me that's fine as long as we are able to manage being in the lead because that's something which we struggled time and time again under Marsh was um, protecting the lead. And we've seen that in one game so far, Grazia has been able to do that. Um, well, against Southampton, we got a lead in, I think, 75th minute, and we held on to that for the final 20. So that's a, po- a positive step for me, is that um, just protecting leads, even if it's just a, a one-goal lead, we just need to protect it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add is that like the Fulham game counts as, as mm-hmm. evidence. And I yeah. think that we were the better team in that game against Fulham. I think we were dangerous and we, we did sh- generate chances. And um, we we got kiboshed by them scoring two low expected goals chances, right? That's, you know, we've done that enough times to other teams. But, um, you know, in you have to take the, the confidence from that game that actually against a team who are a top, a top table side, Top half of the table side, yeah. top half of the table side. Yeah. <laughs> um, that we we went and we I think we dominated that game away from home to to a degree. I mean I don't think it was you know it wasn't domination as we often mean it in terms of like controlling the game, but we we I think we were the better team. We we comfortably caused them problems, and we we probably could have got more out of it if they didn't ride their luck and we were a little bit more clinical. So yeah, I think you take a game like that and you think there there, there is going to be different games under Gracia. It's not going to be the same game over and over again. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think it will be something that we'll see a lot of variation in the, the way the games pan out. Um, so we'll move on to the Wolves preview now. Um, so first of all, John, how do you feel that Wolves play under Lopetegui? Yeah, again, I have to uh, plead ignorance to a, to a degree. I haven't You'll be surprised to, to know, Martin, I haven't been faithfully watching Lopetegui's uh, uh, Wolves. Um, but my impression of them is that, you know, they're, they're in the same sort of situation that we're under, right? Is that they're trying to develop a, an in-possession style of play. They are going to try and build up from the back. Um, Wolves probably have a better squad than us. Uh, they certainly have better players, I think, to play that kind of football. They've roughly been playing back for um, football under Lopetegui. They use different um iterations of midfielders so usually what that means is you can play a 4-3-3 or you can play a 4-2-3-1 you can either play with a double pivot or a single pivot and push one of the players forward um i, I suspect that they will do that against us um and yeah i think this is going to be a, a game where both teams will roughly be trying to do the same sort of thing um in terms of build up from the back, generate chances and stop the opposition from scoring. I know this sounds very, very basic, but um, when you have two teams who are fighting against relegation and have got two new managers in, there's only so much you can really do in terms of your game plan. So uh, it should be a fascinating game um, and certainly one that I would hope that we can compete in. 
Yeah, um, I'd, I'd say the same. Um, this is a game which I do think that we should have a, a decent enough chance of um, at least trying to get a draw out of. Um, but yeah, going on, on to how both play, like you mentioned there, they do mainly use back four setups, 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3. pretty mid-blocky, but they do press quite high in certain situations, especially in wide areas. Um, their press seems to be triggered more when they just go to the fullbacks and try to quickly get in there. And they also try to look to stop crosses as well quickly at source. Um, the, well, you usually do have a double pivot, like you mentioned there. One of the centre backs will drop, not centre backs, sorry, one of the midfielders will drop in between the two centre backs, creating a free in build up. And that has, I think, it's been a combination of both. In the game I watched against Fulham, there was um, Mario Lamina, who. I must say, it's the first time I've really concentrated on Lamina, and he's a fantastic footballer. Yeah, I, I've got a feeling he's a sort of um, midfielder you like, John. You like the press, yeah, yeah, p- yeah. press resistant, <laughs> um, classy midfielders, don't you? And that's what the impression I got from Lamina. Um, he just seemed like a bit more of a more athletic version of Farshaw, a bit, 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 bit more dribbling to his game. But yeah, I like Lamina. I remember Farshaw, yeah, I remember him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if only, if only we had that him able to play. But yes, um, yeah, so how do you expect Wolves will approach this game, John? Do you think we'll do anything different? Yeah, I think, I don't know. The big, the big question is going to be like, did they approach with a double pivot or a single pivot? Um, I don't know enough about what they're going to try and do from there. I suspect, given that they're going to probably want to build up from the back, they may just go with the double pivot, as you've said, and then um, drop the, the central midfielder in to um, give them that extra player up front, especially given that Leeds can be quite aggressive in the press, quite be, can be quite... Um, difficult to negotiate if you're building up from the back so the ability then to to be able to get an extra player in that first line of build-up um, can actually give you a little bit of an advantage we actually saw Brighton doing this um, mm-hmm. but using the goalkeeper you've already mentioned Melia can do that as well so but Brighton did that and it just gives you that three players against a front two so that you've got a, a, a natural overload in, in that area so I suspect they'll probably do that um, so yeah maybe four two three one, but which they they'll then segue into sort of four four two mid-block out of possession um in many respects like like i don't think that lopetegui and, and javi grassi are going to be a million miles apart i see them as being quite similar kinds of coaches i think lopetegui is probably a better like build-up coach potentially than than grassi grassi is maybe a little bit more well-rounded than than lopetegui so maybe a little bit better on the out of possession stuff but um i do see this as being two sides who are going to sort of largely match up and it will come down to whoever can 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 build up the better or whether or not we can generate those high turnovers um, to, to a degree. But again, this is a very amateur opinion from someone who hasn't watched <laughs> enough of either teams properly recently. So, Yeah, the, the, the only maybe a variation I could think we may see is him bringing on a few of um, his more dribbly um, wide players. Um, they've got quite a lot of variation in their wide players. Uh, they've been using Pablo Sarabia um, on the right, right a lot, but I couldn't even expect them to bring on Adama Traore. He's a player who has caused us problems historically for a long time. And same with um, Daniel Pudence. Both those two players can cause us problems, so I th- I th- possibly we could see that. Um, I think he will try to press us pretty high as well. Um, I did see that in evidence against some other, some other teams around our level, so I do think that he will try to press us, which will mean that m- maybe we look t- to go longer more. Um, but we'll see how that, how that gets up. So regardless of what we think we we will do, um, would you see any changes to our lineup or structure? Yeah, it's a good question. I think any changes we see will probably be in the forward area. I, I suppose there's a, there's the possibility we could go with a midfield three, four four three three. Mm-hmm. Um, to try and get to try and get McKenney and Adams and Rocket into the team. Um, I don't know. I don't know what your sense of of things is on this one. I'm a whole, I know when I've looked over what Gracie likes to do. Yeah, he hasn't really used three man midfielders, um, three man midfields very often. Um, he's mm-hmm. he's generally stuck with a double pivot, four four twos, four two three ones. So I'm not sure we'll see that, but. I do think it is probably a good option for us. Um, we've got a player who would be very good in the, in the single pivot with, with Mark Rocker, especially in build-up phases. Then you could have um, Adams ahead, a bit more of a destroyer, just pressing high. And then you've, then you'd have McKenney to do a similar role out of possession, but also someone who is able to carry the ball a bit. So I, I think I, that is something I would like to see, but I don't think we'll see it. I, th- I think it'll be... Very similar lineup to what we saw against Brighton, because um, he does seem to really like Jack Harrison, 
because of the, I think, very out of possession work. I think Harrison is probably our best option in wide areas for protecting and giving help to fullbacks, which is something which on the other side, Somerville isn't quite as good at. Um, but that's obviously his smaller build of player. Harrison's been working on his physical attributes for a few seasons now, so he's always going to be a better choice for that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd expect it to be largely unchanged. Maybe possibly Nanto coming to the side for maybe Aronson if we wanted to try to get the ball with a more more reliable person in attacking areas than Aronson. While I think we have seen Aronson playing better than he was actually doing under Marsh, which has surprised me. Um, but he's been playing well recently, but possibly he could come out and Monto come in. But I think it will be pretty similar. I think Aronson has played in that role against Brighton because of the out-of-possession focus. So yeah. I would I would definitely agree that if, if Grassi is going to try and possess the ball a little bit more, he'll probably move Aronson out and, and bring in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Prob- probably Monto, yeah. Uh, so where is it that you think that we can hurt Wolves and any particular things? Yeah, I mean, I think we're super dangerous at turning the ball over in the final third and and generating chances from there. Um, so, yeah, again, this would be this would be a situation where I would say the the big question is going to be how wedded is Lopetegui to building up from the back? Um, how good is that build up going to be, and how much can we hurt them from it? Is it going to be the situation where he recognises early on that we can play over, he can just play over the top of the press and and maybe get joy in 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 you know, if you're playing a, uh, a striker like Jimenez, um, if you've got transitional players like you know, you've already mentioned Traore, but there's plenty of, I mean, what Huang Yi Chan, uh, Sarabia you've mentioned as well. Daniel Podence is a is a good player. Uh, Pedro Neto, a good wide player as well. Um, if he can if he can do that, then he he I think probably dominates the the proceedings of the game because he's very much playing out of our hands. Um, but at the same time, Lopetegui strikes me as being maybe quite idealistic as a as a coach. So it may be the case that he is going to just try and try and build up. In which case, I think we will get a lot more joy. Um, so yeah, maybe that's a reductive way of looking at it. But I genuinely think that our upside at the moment does come from us being able to do decent stuff out of possession. Yeah. And if oppositions are going to try and build up from the back, they're keeping the ball in an area where we're going to be much more dangerous if we win it back. Whereas, as as we know, if you play it long and get it into our half and make the game a bit more transitional yes you know we are set up to play transitionally but I also think that they're set up to play quite transitional or can be and they probably have some of the better players to be able to profit from that right which is it's the sort of the standard thing that you do against uh, against control teams try and break it down make it transitional and hope that you are the better set team to profit from the chaos so I think that's probably how it will go. Yeah, that's um, how I'd expect it to go as well. Um, I do think that Wolves are maybe 100% wedded to always wanting to play in a certain way. I have noticed them do go, they do go long. They do have some players in deeper areas who are capable of hitting long passes, especially Ruben Neves. He's got a fantastic um, ball progression ability from long passing. So I do think that is something that we will have to be aware of. And especially in the fullback areas, they like to have their fullbacks holding width. Um, especially that Nelson Tomato, um, he's I think he could be a pretty dangerous player against us. So, uh, it, but conversely, because he does like like to get high, I think that is an area that we can look to get into is um, the, the area behind Tomato when he does, does does get forward. If we can have either Nonto or Harrison on that left side carrying the ball and quickly getting us up the pitch, I think that could be another way we could hurt them. Um, but on to the next one. Um, how will this game play out? How do you, how would you expect to see the football game look like? Yeah, I mean, as I say, it all depends on whether or not Wolves try and build out from the back, are bad at it, and consistently or persist with it if they if they are bad at it. Um, I think that's 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 pretty much what's going to determine it. Um, and I think that sort of again pushes onto the next question, which yeah. is where will this game be won or lost? Which is again the same for me. It's like how much joy can we get out of out of pressing them high or pressing them in their build up phase? Uh, how much joy can they get playing through our press? Uh, and then, if the game does become transitional, like who who is able to benefit from those transitional moments? Yeah, I'd agree that I won't even bother asking the next question because we've we've gone through it a fair bit. That it is going to be won or lost by the team who does make use of transitions best, which does seem to be quite quite a common theme, especially for for us, and where the game will will be won for us if we do take advantage of the transitions. Um, but yeah, I think that's about everything. Um, we will be back next week to break down the Wolves 
game. And who do we have? Is it Forest after Wolves? I think. I have no uh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll be back to another team <laughs> to preview that. Whichever team it is, we'll be back then. But thank you very much for joining me today, John. That's been a great pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And dear listener, thank you. And tune in next time. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.